DJ Tice and John Rash are here from the Star Tribune editorial board. Playing politics has been a part of WCC Radio and Star Tribune for a number of years. Glad to have it on this show. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. Let's start with the obvious story of the world right now. What is taking place? What are we leading to with Ukraine? United States government putting on information in the last couple hours that a full-scale, I repeat, a full-scale Russian invasion of Ukraine is imminent. John, I will start with you first. Give me your evaluation of how President Biden and his administration has handled this so far. Significantly better than the debacle in Kabul and the withdrawal from Afghanistan for the biggest reason that he has rallied allies and worked in consultation and in concert with them. So yesterday, as just one example, when President Biden came into the East Room to talk about what's happening in eastern Ukraine and the unity of the West, it was done in conjunction with European Union sanctions, United Kingdom sanctions, which of course is no longer part of the EU, as well as the most impressive and implausible decision, at least based on current statements or recent statements, was Germany's decision to not certify the controversial Nord Stream 2 natural gas pipeline, which would have directly sent natural gas from Russia. That hurts Russia economically far more than what was done by other nations. But President Biden, Prime Minister Johnson were among many leaders to say it was, quote unquote, the first tranche of uh, sanctions that they were going to impose more clearly will be coming because, unfortunately, and indeed tragically, more Russian aggression is highly likely coming as well. And at minimum, these two so-called breakaway republics that Russia recognized claim more territory than they now hold. Russia has recognized the broader claims. So that alone sets up a potential military confrontation between Ukraine and Russia on how to define these breakaway republics. So a whole lot more had to do, but so far President Biden has behaved like the transatlanticist that he has been throughout his career. All right, Doug, same question to you, how the Biden administration has handled it so far, and in particular, part of what John emphasized, what was your reaction to the sanctions Joe Biden offered up yesterday? Yeah, uh, well, certainly a, a big difference between his posture here and in Afghanistan last summer. One big difference, of course, is that back then he assured the country that everything would go well. Uh, this time around, he's assured us things would not go well, and this time he's right. Uh, the, the, apparently the uh, invasion is underway. Uh, you know, one's heart goes out to the Ukrainian people who have suffered immensely for a very long time and are in a very bad place once again uh, certainly hope for success uh, with these sanctions uh, I don't exactly understand why we haven't gone all the way uh, we keep hearing that you know there's more to come I thought that uh, President Zelensky in, in Ukraine had a very good argument uh, when he suggested that the sanctions ought to be put in place before the Putin moved so as to take the initiative away from him and leave it up to him to persuade us to lift the sanctions rather than constantly 
uh, threatening. I guess I worry that we have drawn another red line uh, that we uh, do not have the wherewithal or the will to enforce. Uh, Time will tell. I hope that's not the case, but it is a little bit hard sometimes to understand our foreign policy. I didn't entirely understand the urgency of our getting out of Afghanistan, uh, but it was essentially that we couldn't, we can't solve every problem in the world. And apparently, uh, you know, putting the uh, Taliban in its place was too much for us. If that's the case, I, I think Putin is going to be too much for us. I want to pick up, John, on what Doug said, because I'm in agreement. I, I thought how it's played out the last 10 days or so, it was abundantly clear to all of us what was going to happen. And if Joe Biden and other members of the administration would continue to say, sanctions like you've never seen before are coming, and it didn't show any signs in any way to slow Putin down, why not lay those out right now and say, okay, you're not adjusting. You haven't paid attention to President Trump. You haven't paid attention to President Obama. You haven't paid attention to President Bush. I'm going to show you I'm a man of my word. And you lay out, and if these sanctions are as crippling as they have suggested, put them out days ago as opposed to now it's apparently hours away from this full-scale invasion. Well, I think that you and DJ and indeed President Zelensky make a compelling point here. My sense, not to defend the administration, but my analysis of their strategy here is twofold. One, they and their Western allies hope to do this incrementally with the idea that they want to hold something in reserve that Vladimir Putin and the Russian government wants to avoid in the sense that if they did it all at the start, there may not be any point in President Putin thinking twice at that point because he's already taken the hit. Two, and I think more profoundly, President Biden really wants to coordinate these with not just Western, but East Asian allies, Japan, as well as uh, South Korea, Australia, even at this point. And because there's much more power in doing it together and in not you know, splitting the Western alliance in any way, which is ultimately President Putin's end, end goal. And so I think that in these consultations that he's had, he has made agreements to do it together and in stages. And if that's what it takes to get the maximum sanctions levied against Russia, that's probably the decision he'd have to make. If it were up to me, and it sounds like you and DJ at minimum as well, they would have done them together and they all would have gone maximum and the impetus would have been on President Putin to get them lifted. But, you know, at least they've diplomatically been able to align the movement and that should have a, you know, should be a force multiplier in many ways. You know, I guess I I, I, no, go ahead. Well, I I agree with that assessment of, of how this has happened, you know, how he's ended up in this place. But I guess I just, I would be more impressed with his, handling of this situation if he had been successful in rallying the allies behind a maximum effort, uh, an effort where whatever we can do, we we do uh, implement. And that hasn't happened. So I, I, I would weigh that in 
the judgment of how well he's handled the situation. I think it's a valid point. I just think if this full-scale invasion takes place and thousands and thousands and thousands of people are killed, and this is Putin's pursuit to put the Soviet Union back together, when the sanctions are offered up, that's not bringing those thousands and thousands of people back from the dead. And when he's already in Ukraine, he's not going to backpedal because of any sanctions. I just don't see that. Let's uh, let's get to local topics with uh, DJ Tice and John Rash playing politics with the Star Tribune in just a matter of minutes. One fifty-one. we come right back. Playing politics, Star Tribune. Editorial board, uh, John Rash and DJ Tice are here. It, it's fairly wonky, but there is significant news coming out of redistricting. Obviously, we see it every decade, every state across the union on the congressional side and then within legislative bodies, in this case, in the Senate and House in the state of Minnesota. And the Senate minority leader is now stepping down. This is fairly unexpected when you think about the position of the Senate minority leader. But Melissa Franzen has said she will not run for another term. She is paired with fellow Democrat Ron Latz. And it's time you have somebody in leadership who's stepping down because of redistricting. It draws attention, rightfully so. John, what are the reverberations about this particular move, especially within the DFL party itself? They're quite significant because she had ascended to this leadership position, was generally very well thought of. She's only been there a few months and seemingly had a very good working relationship with the Senate Majority Leader, Jeremy Miller, a Republican. And so this is going to change the machinations within the DFL party with the Senate. It probably will mean immediate reelection with Senator Latz, who has served many terms in St. Paul, and it's unclear the direction that the Senate will take. I think if we take it even further, you know, you look at the fact that Tom Bach was long associated with this job, got yes. pushed out in a vote, and in effect has gone independent, often voting along with Republicans, and that ended up being a big political hit to the Democrats. And Senator Franzen represented Edina, uh, uh, reflective of increasingly, you know, more moderate Democrats being elected in what used to be solidly Republican districts. And so I, while they won't necessarily replace her seat with a Republican because it'll be Senator Latz, it is unclear who's going to ascend to that Senate leadership job. How about you, Doug? What do you think? Well, I... I'm not clear on what uh, her plans may be. Uh, Of course, people who are paired up and put in an awkward position by redistricting some for for other opportunities, and that's certainly one of the abilities here. Uh, Redistricting always, you know, uh, throws over the table and all the puzzle pieces uh, get moved around. Uh, It seems that the redistricting, uh, this time around, particularly on the congressional districts, uh, made fairly minimal changes, uh, but still uh, they're significant and uh, it'll mean a lot uh, for the next legislature, uh, especially because it's uh, it's a midterm as of the as the uh, election after 
drafting uh, typically is, and that means that the uh, out party is looking to make gains. Let's talk about uh, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar and an opponent, an opponent who has a recognizable name for many reasons. Royce White announced through a video yesterday he is running as a Republican to win the nomination and to defeat Ilhan Omar. Doug, I'll start with you. This is a district that leans heavily to Democrats, just like districts across the country that lean heavily Democrat or Republican. And the numbers, which are truly up for grabs, continue to dwindle. He has name recognition for many reasons. Does Royce White or any Republican have a chance in this district? Probably not. Uh, I think that the uh, uh, the greater likelihood is some kind of internal challenge uh, in the DFL ranks. And there had been uh, talk of Don Samuels, uh, activist on the uh, north side of, uh, of Minneapolis, uh, former city council member, former school board member, uh, perhaps making uh, such a challenge. I think that is uh, the, the more likely uh, threat uh, to Omar. Uh, that said, uh, you know she has certainly established uh, her support uh, in the district, and I think is going to be formidable for any challenger. John, same to you. With about uh, sixty seconds or so to go, I concur with DJ that it's far more likely that someone like Don, <clears throat> excuse me, Don Samuels, either in a DFL primary challenge or on an outside basis, an independent challenge, which would mean that he would make it toward the November general election, which has much more significant participation than the primaries generally do, has an outside chance of giving Representative Omar a really good contest. How the Republican would play in that race remains to be seen, especially because there are multiple Republican candidates so far. But I think someone like Don Samuels has a much better chance of of giving her a much tougher race. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it as always. Thank you. Thank you, Chip.